So I started preparing for this message. I started to uh, think about when I retired from the Marine Corps. And before I retired, people were asking me, what are you going to miss about the Marine Corps? And I was like, nothing. Like, I'm ready to go. And I can remember standing in, uh, at my ceremony. I'm standing in the position of attention. And they had taken a line of Marines that had held uh, each rank that I'd ever been. And they were passing this flag from one rank to another. So from private to chief warrant officer four. They were turning it. And I was fine. I was doing good. I had my good military bearing. And then as soon as the last guy had it and turned and grabbed it to me, I, like, I started to well up. Like, and I'm like fighting back the tears. And I'm like, you're all right. You're all right. You're going to make it through this. And I grabbed it. And from that day, there's one thing, that, one question that people have asked me the most. One question they've asked me is, what do you miss most about being a Marine? And I started really thinking about this. And the thing I miss about being a Marine is the mission. I miss having a bunch of people who are solely dedicated to a mission. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you do. You're so laser focused on the mission and you move out and you accomplish this mission together. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, maybe with a team or maybe at work or maybe in your family. It's just, there's a satisfying thing about that. And that's what leads us to our message today. We're going to look at our final part of our sermon series. We've been looking at the vision, the vision of the church. We've been looking at loving God, loving others. And today we'll be looking at making disciples. This is kind of the practical application of the prior two um, vision series. So loving God, loving others. Now make disciples. Now do something. So let's go ahead and pray. and Let's ask God to just bless this time. Father, we come to you right now and we just pray that your spirit would fill us, would provide understanding, would provide clarification. We just want you to be glorified, Lord. So be with us as we open your word and learn about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, prior to receiving an order for a mission, you have to come in with the proper mindset. You have to be committed to the mission. You have to be committed regardless of what that order is going to be. And that's what we're going to look at first is commitment to the mission. We read in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went, or they proceeded to Galilee. Jesus had told them prior to that to meet them, meet him in Galilee. So they go. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when we think about commitment, the first thing we see, commitment to the mission requires availability. We notice there's only 11 of them here. But we started off with 12. One's missing. At this time, Judas had already committed suicide. He'd already taken his own life. He was no longer available. And for us, some who we initially walk with on this mission will be unavailable. They will become casualties of preoccupation or distraction with advancing their kingdom instead of Christ's kingdom. We continue in verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. They're walking and they, they, 
finally see Christ, and they don't approach Christ in a way that's like flippant. They see Christ and they worship Him. They get down on their faces, they prostrate before Him, and they see Him. And it's just this reverence for Him. And it says, but some doubt, some lack confidence. I love that part of the verse. Because it really shows this humanity. You see, commitment to the mission requires obedience. Why are they doubting? Well, think about it. Jesus had walked with them, but now Jesus was leading them. Maybe they're doubting because they don't think they're qualified for the task. I mean, let's think about some of the things Jesus told them while he walked with them. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. What does sheep do to wolves? They eat them up. He says this in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And they're remembering that. And they're like, I don't know if I'm up for this task. I don't know what he's going to task us with, but it's going to be something really heavy. I don't know if I'm up for this. Yet in obedience, they continue on. They're committed. Here's the thing. Christ doesn't call the capable to carry out his critical mission. He calls the committed. So my question for you is, are you available? Are you obedient? Are you committed? Now after you have this commitment to the mission, you have to be prepared to receive the mission order. So they go to Jesus. You see verse 18. They worship Jesus. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I have unlimited jurisdiction over every domain, everywhere. I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I have unlimited jurisdiction. And I find it interesting that he starts off with this. You see, I look at this through a military lens. And when you're in war, or when you're just going about your daily life in the military, you receive a lot of orders. I mean, you guys probably get the same taskings at work or in family, or, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this. You have to prioritize those. And the importance of the order is commensurate with the person, the authority of the person who's giving that order. Jesus has unlimited authority. This is our primary mission. And he says, therefore go. The word therefore go really means having gone. It implies that wherever you are, or wherever you will go, is sufficient to carry out this mission. And for some of us, that's overseas. For some of us, that's across the country. But for many of us, it's across the kitchen table. And he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all types of people. This is the order. He says, make disciples. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the order. So we have to ask ourselves, what is a disciple of Christ? Because if he's asking us to make disciples, what does this actually mean? What are we making? If we look at it through a scriptural lens, we see a disciple of Christ is a person who is committed, who is a committed learner, follower, worshiper, and lover of Christ. There's, it's somebody who's totally sold out for Christ. 
Christ is above everything, and we're called to be that and make that. So let me summarize the order for us. This is what Jesus is telling us. In every context of our lives, no matter where we're at, with all types of people, we are to make whole life disciples that are totally sold out for Christ. That's what we've been tasked with. That's our order. How's that sitting with you? I see some of you squirming a little bit, so that's why I'm asking. It's like, I don't know how you're, how you're doing. Some of you might be sitting there going, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified for this. But friends, if you put your faith in Christ, you're qualified. If you put your faith in Christ, you've accepted that order to make disciples. There's no waiting period. It isn't like you have to wait become like super spiritual and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can make disciples now. As soon as you put your faith in Christ, you're a disciple maker. Being a disciple and making a disciple, they, they fuel each other. And they were never intended to be separated. Now some of you in here might go, I'm not buying this, Brian. I'm not buying this. Isn't making disciples the job of the church. And really what they're saying, Brian, isn't making disciples your job? Isn't it the job of the missionary? I mean, I support the church. I tithe. I give to missions. Friends, we are the church. Everyone in here, we're the church. And we're everyday missionaries where God has placed us. This order, it can't be outsourced. We can't sit there and go, okay, here you go, you do it. And I'll sit back. It was never intended to be that way. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God's mission is going to fall apart if you're not actively involved. God's sovereign. God's will will be done. He will gather his elect. It will happen. However, what I am going to tell you is if you're not actively involved, your life might fall apart. You see, I have a lot of people that come and they want to talk and they say, Pastor Brian, I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. How do I grow in my relationship with Christ? I just don't feel Christ. How do I do that? And Jesus tells us, make disciples. Make disciples. So we have our order. That's our order. But when you get an order, it isn't like, here's your order, now go do it. There's tasks that are associated with that order. You have to understand the tasks of the mission. And Jesus gives us two tasks. We read, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Task one, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, for each task, there's usually a specified task and an implied task. Specified task here is Baptize. Baptize. And baptism means a lot of things, but one of the things that baptism is, it's a symbol, it's a proclamation that you belong to Christ. It's sort of like a wedding ring. I'm still married to Erica, but when I put this ring on, it says, I belong to Erica. And that's what baptism is. But the implied task is that somebody explains the gospel to me in order for me to make an outer proclamation of belonging to Christ. 
So we see that discipleship starts with the harvest. It starts with gospel proclamation, the good news that Christ has died for our sins. When we put our faith in him, we now enter into eternal joy with Christ. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? It's outer proclamation. It's not just, well, people are just going to figure this out if I live life a certain way. You have to actually say the words and tell them. It has to like come from the heart because it's real. Now, some of you are saying, well, how do I evangelize? And quite frankly, the word evangelize makes some of us feel a little icky. You're like, I don't like that word. Let's talk about that. Why don't we like that word? Because we don't like somebody selling us something we don't want. Right? I mean, that's bottom line. And I'm, I'm confessing right now, if anyone's ever in sales, like, I don't like salespeople. Like, they know the right, like, the wrong time to call. It's like six in the, like, right when I'm about ready to eat dinner. But they knock on the door, and I don't want it. And I admit, like, sometimes I'm like, nope, and I close the door. And you're like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to feel that rejection because I know how I reject people. So how do we evangelize then? Because I don't know how you were taught, but I was taught like we throw a spiritual grenade in the room and then you run away. Like, hey, here's the gospel. Boom, I'm out of here. Let me know if you need anything, but not really. So how do we evangelize? It's relational. It's relational. God has placed people in your social sphere already. He's already said, here you go. There's some people, and it just comes up in normal conversation. It's organic. It's not formulaic. A couple weeks ago, I went to get my hair cut here in North Andover, and I'm sitting at the, at the barber, barber's chair, and this, this guy, this young guy, starts cutting my hair, starts talking. He's telling me about how he's getting ready to get married, and he's talking to me like just kind of his thoughts about marriage and he goes on for about 10 minutes and it's a good, good conversation. And he says, what do you do for a living? And I was like, yes, yes. He invited me in and I told him what I did on the pastor and then I preached to him the gospel in a very non-threatening way but I, I gave him the truth. You see, there's openings all of the time. People invite you to share the hope that you have. It's just, are we seeing that? Are we taking advantage of that? Do we, are we, do we even want to? Like, have you ever been to a point where you're like, I probably should share Christ right then. It was a perfect opportunity. You walk away and you just feel horrible. I thank God for those moments. Because I should feel horrible. Because right at that moment, I'm not loving the person as well as I should. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Brian, I just, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. I started thinking about this because I could totally get that. And I've said that. I don't want to offend anyone. But here's the thing. I started thinking some of the most loving things people have ever told me in my life were very offensive at the time. And I thank God for those times. We have to 
be, just get real with this. The gospel is offensive to a dying culture. But it's the fragrance of life for people who are seeking it. And let's think about it. The gospel, we're saying, first off, we're saying, all have fallen short of the glory of God and you're sinners. And you deserve hell. We all deserve hell. Well, that's a bummer right off the bat. <laughs> and then we're saying there's only one way to God, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who was nailed to the cross. And when we put our faith in Christ, we now are destined for heaven. And people are going, no, there's many ways. And we're like, nope, there's one. It's through Christ. And then we say, Christ is our Lord. And we are, not only do we love Christ, but we're slaves of Christ. And that's like way radical. People are like, whoa, that just sounds weird. But it's the most loving message you could tell someone. Some of you are sitting there and you're saying, well, no one's going to listen, Brian. Nobody will listen. Brian, I'm so frustrated with this. I've I've told the people I love this or the people at work or whoever a million times, but nobody listens. And let me just encourage you, like, I understand that. I can understand how discouraging that can be. But I want to encourage you in this. We get this awesome idea of this, this parable of the soils in Scripture where Jesus is telling this parable and there's this farmer. And he starts throwing seed on all these different types of soils. And first off, from a farming point of view, this guy is the worst farmer ever. Because he's just throwing seed everywhere. He's wasting it. But yet God talks about the growth, how the farmer isn't worried about the growth. He's just there to cast the seed. You see, the success of the mission is ultimately the work of God. We're just called to work the harvest. So that's the first task. The second task, it says... Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What teaching is he talking about? Well, it's not just a typical classroom teaching me. Listen, I would love to sit there and say, hey, everyone stay like a half hour after service. I'll throw, you know, because I love slides. So I'll throw the 10 points of discipleship up, and if you get that, like you're a disciple of Christ and you're good. Never have to talk about this again. But that's not the teaching that he's talking about. It's more than just classroom teaching. It's more than just head knowledge. And I want to just make it clear. You can teach what you don't practice. But you can't disciple what you don't practice. Because discipleship is life on life, heart on heart. It's the nitty gritty of life. You're getting to a condition of the heart, not just behavior change. teaching he's talking about here is Holy Spirit-empowered, gospel-centered, holistic teaching in the context of a relational community, the church, in the lab of life, under the loving authority and majesty of Christ. That's the teaching he's talking about. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do I teach in this manner that we talk about? It's getting involved in people's lives. It's getting involved in people's lives. You can't be an observer. You have to be in it. I love those people in my life that don't let me off the hook. 
You know those people that go and they say, how's your heart? And you're like, I don't know. They say, how's your time in God's word been? Good. But that's not good enough answer for them. And they ask it again and again and again. I thank God for those people. And those are the people we're called to be. Let's think about Jesus. Jesus engages all these different people in the Gospels, right? He comes across a woman in the well, Zacchaeus, all these people. Jesus doesn't have his, like, ten laws of discipleship and then starts working through it and going, okay, step one, I'm going to talk in this way, step two, this, step three. All right, you're disciple. So he, he engages people in a different way at their level. Some people he's very poignant with them. The woman at the well, he calls her out on her sin. He knows exactly what she needs to hear to get her attention. Other people, he's a little more softer with. So our method is relational. Our method is walking alongside people, knowing who they are. What's the scope of the ministry, though? What's the scope of discipleship? Is it a big discipleship program where we lay it out and we say, here you go, here's this huge program? Well, let's look at Paul. Paul did a lot of things. He was a missionary. He planted churches. But one thing, if you were to boil down Paul's ministry, it was one person. It was Timothy. Timothy was Paul's ministry. That was it, Timothy. One guy. It's not a giant campaign or program. It's just one-on-one engagements. You see, task one and task two of evangelizing and teaching, they're never meant to be disconnected. Because some people like to focus, well, let's go make disciples and we'll just go ahead and evangelize and that's it. Some people go, we won't evangelize, we'll just teach but they're never meant to be disconnected. They're meant to be interconnected. And sometimes they happen in parallel. Sometimes you have people in your life that aren't even believers. They haven't even put their faith in Christ, yet they're drawn to Jesus' way, to Scripture, to all that. And somewhere along the line, God works in their hearts. It's up to God on that growth. We're just called to work the harvest. We're just called to teach. So I have to ask you this. Are you in a discipleship relationship right now? Who's your Timothy? Who's your Timothy? I want you to think about that right now. Who's your Timothy? And if someone pops in your head right now, I want you to write it down. Write that person's name down. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's somebody sitting right next to you. Who's your Timothy? Now once you understand the task of the mission, you have to understand the resources you have to accomplish that mission. You have to know how to leverage your resources for that mission. Jesus gives us our resources. We look at verse 20. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus knows this is a hard order. This is a hard mission. It's like he grabs us and he says... I am with you always. I'm with you always. Here's the thing, friends. We have the full arsenal of Christ at our disposal for this mission. Remember, Christ has ultimate authority, ultimate jurisdiction over everything. Matthew 16, 18 says, On this rock, on this gospel proclamation of Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
We have the Holy Spirit that has empowered us for this mission. And we're called to listen and be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and leading in this mission. And rely on the strength of Christ. Because He has equipped us for this mission. Not us. Now sometimes when we receive a mission and we, we think about how to leverage our resources, it's good to get a glimpse on the outcome of the mission. Like what's the whole point? Like why are we doing this? What's the whole point here? And Jesus tells us. We see a glimpse of this. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is a glimpse. This is the mission's over. This is a glimpse into the heavenly throne room. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's worship. That's the whole point of this. It's worship. It starts with worship as we come to the task of making disciples, and it culminates in worship at the end of time as we worship our great King and Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of this. Worship. I get excited about this because I'm just like, it's worship. So I got a challenge for you. I'm always going to have a challenge for you, so just get used to it. Examine how you're making disciples in your life. How are you making disciples in your life? Where's that discrepancy? And once you determine that, make changes. Find your Timothy. Invite someone to Alpha. That's real easy. How about invite them to a small group? You only get one chance at this. Only one chance. When I when I was receiving that flag and they handed it to me and I was fighting back the tears, I looked over to my left and I saw my daughter Madison. She was smiling. I saw my parents and they were standing just a little bit taller, very proud of me. Then I looked at my wife Erica and she was smiling. And she had a tear that was coming out of her eye. And it wasn't a tear of happiness, it was almost a tear of sadness. And it struck me. I didn't understand that. Later on, we had a conversation. And I had asked her, I noticed you were crying. And she, she said one of the most profound things to me. She said, Brian, I was very happy. I was very proud of you. But I realized the next time I see a flag like this, it'll be because you're no longer with us. And someone has handed me that flag. And it hit me. And it hit me really hard. And I said, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my life. And I started thinking, 
when Erica receives this flag because I'm no longer here, I'm going to be standing before my compassionate commander, Jesus Christ, giving an account of how I carried out this mission. And I long to hear him say, mission accomplished. Well done, good faith and servant. Enter is my eternal joy. I just want to hear that. What do you want to hear? Friends, we have our orders. It's time to move out. Let's pray. Father, we come. We hear your words. We hear your mission. We hear your mission to make disciples. And I pray that we would rely on your power, that we would rely on your strength, that we would take you at your word and make it, use it into our daily lives. I pray that your sense of eternity and our finitude would be so ever-present on our minds and in our hearts as we go and we engage the people that you've already put in our lives or the people that you put in our hearts that maybe are not in our local sphere. I pray that we would worship you and that we would invite people to come worship you, Lord Jesus. And I long for the day that I look at your heavenly throng and notice and see people that I had conversations with who you ushered into your presence, into your kingdom. We love you, Lord. And we just want you to be glorified. May we go and we take this seriously. In Jesus' name, amen.